Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedikin. Let's start out by thanking this past week's Patreon subscribers. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. There's some new episodes up there for you. And as always, after our main show, we always do an after show. Where we shoot the shit. Where we just, it's it's very casual. We talk about, we talk about uh, whatever's going on. Whatever we want. Whatever we want. Uh, This week we had Lori, Nikki, Natalie, Tickle. Maria, Belinda, Alex, Hope, Mindy, Jamie, David, Puffy Burger, Iva, Kayla, and Michelle. Wait, what's Puffy Burger? Somebody is named Puffy Burger. I wonder if they're a burger shop. (laughs) (laughs) Would you eat at a place called Puffy Burger? Um, if they gave me free uh, food, I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. Honestly, no. Now I need to know if it is. I need to look it up on Instagram to see if this is actually. It, it's probably just like someone's screen name. I know. I'm just. But like now, I'm like. Wait. I'm like, what if we have a listener who makes burgers? I'll try them. Okay. But maybe it's just a person's fun name. There's something called Puff Burger. Oh. It's not in. The States. Okay. Well, forget it then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this episode for this week, we're going to be talking about a serial killer who is not well known, but is from Los Angeles. This is a pretty wild story. Now, my main sources for this episode were a lot of newspaper articles I there was some great information from the SF Gate as well as a Dateline episode, which I only had the transcription of. I wanted to watch it, but I couldn't. Oh, I do like when they have transcriptions of the shows on. I do too, but I but Keith Morrison narrated this one, right. so I really wanted to hear him. Right. So sometimes when I'm researching, though, I like to look at both. Yeah. Because then I can uh, find things that I wanted, where it's harder to rewind and stuff. On those episodes. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to read it too sometimes. Yeah. So I definitely, uh, I got information from a bunch of different places for this episode. Let's start at the beginning. In the 1970s, a series of similar murders committed against middle-aged women in the harbor area of Los Angeles baffled police. The killer had left behind no usable evidence. There were no fingerprints and no witnesses. Each woman was found strangled, nude, or partially nude, and had been raped. The first of this series occurred on Christmas Day, 1972. 43-year-old Lois Petrie, a recent widow who worked as a cook, went out to a local bar in San Pedro to go drinking on Christmas Day. She had plans to meet up with her family later for a holiday dinner, but was never heard from again. The following day, her sister Erna went to her home, And it was there that she discovered Lois's partially nude body. 
The cause of death was determined to be homicide via manual strangulation. The killer had left behind semen inside of Lois, but obviously at the time, this is nearly two decades before DNA evidence, so this case quickly went cold. Two years later, on August 19, 1974, the body of a woman was found in Harbor Park in the town of Wilmington, which is just east of San Pedro, where Lois Petrie lived. The woman, who was determined to be in her 50s, was found face down in some bushes wearing only stockings. She appeared to have been dragged from a parking lot and then dumped into these bushes. She had been raped and also strangled. It would take police nearly a month to identify this woman. In the meantime, the papers referred to her as Jane Doe 52. A few weeks later, a third body of a middle-aged woman in the harbor area was found. Just two miles from the dump site of Jane Doe 52, the nude body of 54-year-old Anna Felch was discovered by a construction worker at a construction site at 8 a.m. on September 4, 1974. The construction site was located only a few blocks from Anna's home. Anna Felch was last seen at 1 a.m. leaving a bar on the 1900 block of Pacific in San Pedro. The medical examiner determined that she had been dead between three and four hours when the body was found, so she must have been murdered not long after she was last seen. Now, this body was also reported in the papers that it was she was found, she was bound. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also, there was like another article that said it, that might not be true, but it was initially reported that when they found her, she had been bound. Like the other women before her, Anna had been raped and strangled. On September 12th, Jane Doe 52 was identified by her husband, Raymond, as 50-year-old Catherine Medina. Police located him after her purse was discovered in the San Pedro Harbor the day before by some fishermen. Raymond Medina told police that he last saw his wife the day before her body was discovered, which was August 18th. He said that they were walking down the street after leaving a bar and they had gotten into an argument. He said that she flagged down a van occupied by a male driver and got in. (gasps) And that was the last time he ever saw her alive. Oh my gosh. All three of these women were described as heavy drinkers or alcoholics, and they liked to frequent bars in San Pedro. So there's like a link now between these women. They're all middle-aged women. They've all been killed in the same manner. They've all been sexually assaulted, and all of them have been described by friends and family members as heavy drinkers who frequent these bars. Friends of Anna Felch told detectives that Anna had complained about being bothered by a man a few days before she died, but detectives were stumped. They were unable to pull fingerprints from any of the scenes, and at this point, they were still unsure if the murders were linked. It wouldn't be later that they would link these murders. Detective Ted Light told the San Pedro News Pilot that him and his partner were going to have to, quote, do just like Columbo to solve the case. Okay. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) What police didn't know is that the murders of these women in Los Angeles could be linked to some other murders that happened in San Francisco. Months earlier, on March 12, 1974, 55-year-old Irene Hind was found raped and strangled to death in the hallway of a bar she owned in the Tenderloin. In October that same year, which was two months after the murders in San Pedro, another body was found. 
This woman was older than the previous victims, but she had also been raped and strangled. 83-year-old Maud Burgess was found in her apartment at 500 Hyde Street. She was naked, lying face down on the bed. The bed had been stripped, and the sheets were torn into strips and used to tie her to the box spring. She had a bandana tied around her throat and a pillowcase over her head. The apartment had been ransacked, but there was no sign of a break-in, leading detectives to believe that she knew her attacker or she had willingly let them in. She was found by the building manager after her neighbor complained about the noise coming from Maud's apartment. It was her radio, which had been left on for several days. Maud had lived in the apartment building for the last 12 years of her life. She was a very small woman who was described as frail by the San Francisco Examiner. Maud was retired, living on her pension, and she didn't leave her apartment very much, save for her twice-monthly visits to the hair salon, and it was rare that she would have left her apartment at night. On the afternoon of October 12th, Maud visited her downstairs neighbor on the first floor after a trip to the grocery store. She then went back to her fifth-floor apartment before it got dark out. Soon after returning to her apartment, there was a knock at the door. Maud removed the security chain from her door and opened it. It was her neighbor. Maud had accidentally left a loaf of bread behind at her house. That was the last time her neighbor saw her alive, was when she returned Aww. the bread to her. The next day, loud rock music could be heard coming from the radio Maud kept next to her bed. By that time, Maud had been killed. It wasn't until the following day when Maud's neighbor reported the ongoing noise coming from her apartment, which then led to the grim discovery of her body. Detectives interviewed 50 people during their investigation of Maud's murder, but they turned up no leads. Again, there was no physical evidence left behind, and they were stumped. The following year, in March of 1975, the body of 60-year-old Leah Griffin was found in a San Francisco hotel room. She was discovered by a maid at the hotel. She had been strangled and sexually assaulted like the victims before her. Like the women in Los Angeles, Leah was described as someone who liked to get drunk at bars. That same summer in 1975, a young woman named Jean was preparing to move west to California from Pittsburgh to be with her boyfriend. She flew out to the central coast, San Luis Obispo, where she planned to get an apartment with her boyfriend. Jean's boyfriend wasn't in town yet, but she made plans to meet up with his stepfather who offered to help them find an apartment. The stepfather was 49-year-old Adolf Londenberg. Adolf originally hailed from Lexington, Kentucky. His father was a German immigrant and a butcher. His mother died when he was very young. Adolf met his wife, Annelle, in Trinidad when he was serving in the Navy. They got married in 1944, and he adopted her son, Steve. The newlyweds moved with Steve to California and eventually landed in San Pedro, where Adolf wound up working as a cab driver in the late 60s. According to people who knew him, Adolf and Anel were not a good match. He was a bit of a shut-in, and she was very social. Anel was really into fitness, and she even worked for Jack LaLanne. <gasps> Ooh. We've talked about Jack LaLanne. With his weird fit body. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that... Mid-century fitness body. Yeah. You know with a type. I know exactly the body. It's a big old barrel chest. Very barrel chested. And he's like 100, but he's still very muscular. <laughs> is, is he still alive? To be honest, I don't know. The thing about, I feel like he's not 
I but feel, maybe he I, is. I feel like he either died 20 years ago or he's like 110 now. Yeah, I don't like have a memory of him dying, but he's probably dead. Okay, he died in 2011. I think that's around the same time I bought his juicer. Oh. I don't have it anymore. It broke. Okay. But it was very good when it was working. <laughs> like Much like Jack LaLanne. <laughs> I this guy was I mean this guy did his own infomercials for the juicer that's why I bought it I just remember him being around and then I'm like well I don't think I've seen him in a while so he probably did die because he seemed like pretty active yes uh, late in life he was one of those active seniors yes. that we that one can only aspire to be I mean this guy was probably in better shape at a hundred than I am now I don't want to be that active <laughs> <laughs> I want to rest more. Okay, he was 96 when he died. Yeah. That's old. Oh, he's, to, from, he's from San Francisco originally. Oh, I didn't know that. Me either. Okay. Okay. Well, where That's were we? That's the Jack LaLanne <laughs> corner. Anyway, so this guy, Adolf, his wife, she was, she was a girl about town. She was very active, social. She worked for Jack LaLanne. This is a quote from the SF Gate from one of Adolf's friends, Jimmy Martin, he said, Adolf never liked to go out and dance. He was withdrawn. I don't think he knew how to dance. One thing Adolf was really into was making canes. Like walking canes? Like walking sticks. Okay. He, this was like his longtime hobby. He would find old wood Mm -hmm. places I don't know. Like driftwood? Yeah, like salvageable wood. And He's like, ooh, that's a nice stick. That could be a good stick shape. And then he would make it into a cane and I guess whittle little designs on it. I tried to find pictures of his canes. I could not. Apparently he was featured at one point in the LA Times. Could not find that. No. But the SF Gate said he was one time featured in the LA Times for his canes. Quite a whittler. (laughs) (laughs) He loved whittling. So this had been a hobby of his since he lived in Kentucky. Right. One thing many people said about Adolf, however, is even though he was like a shut-in, he was very friendly and he did like to help people. After being married for 30 years, Adolf and Anel divorced. He then moved to San Francisco where he worked a few different jobs, including as a security guard and a cab driver. In the summer of 1975, he drove down to San Luis Obispo to help his stepson's girlfriend find an apartment. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. So Jean has just moved out west. She's just met her possible father-in-law, the stepfather of her boyfriend, Steve, and upon meeting him, Jean really liked Adolf. She recalled a dateline that they went shopping at flea markets together and just overall had a really nice time before her boyfriend arrived in town. But that didn't last. After a few days, the niceness devolved into weirdness. Adolf started coming on to Jean. <gasps> this is her boyfriend's stepdad. She told Dateline that Adolf left her love letters. Ew. She, like, he would leave her notes on the windshield of her car. I mean, and then they're like, he's like picking her up to take her to the store or whatever, help her get set up. But he's like doing this also. Yeah. And, and it's from him. They're right. addressed from him. She told Keith Morrison, quote, it was creepy. It was creepy. I mean, this is a fellow who's, I don't know how many years older than I, and it was very strange. But, That certainly wasn't the end of his creepiness. One day, Adolf was driving alone with Jean in his car when he turned to her and said that he had murdered four women. (gasps) He said he murdered three in Los Angeles and one in San Francisco. He referred to these murders as his four sins. Well, the name Adolf is ruined forever. (laughs) (laughs) See... (laughs) <laughs> so so obviously Jean was like what excuse me I mean that's a pretty shocking revelation she's just met this guy yeah everything's going pretty okay even though he's starting to come on to her and then he breaks this news to her wow and she's alone with him until her boyfriend gets into town now Jean was in shock to say the least yeah Surely this couldn't be true. I mean, who would just admit to something like that? So out of the blue, just driving in your car. The thing that makes it believable is that he's like, those are my four sins. <laughs> like that seems really in line with a creep. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a very specific thing. Right. It's a very specific weird thing to refer to human beings that you murdered. 
So it, yeah. Yeah. It, like that, that seems believe that makes it more believable to me or yeah. would have if right. someone said that to me. Um, but regardless, even though Gene was like, I can't, I can't even believe this. It was still like, okay, but even if you didn't do it, why would you fucking say that? What's wrong with you? I mean, yeah, you? it's still very weird regardless. It's, it's very alarming, very creepy. So she was freaked out significantly. So she decided, I can't be alone with Adolf anymore. I can't spend any more time with him. I'm going to keep myself occupied until yes. my, my boyfriend, Steve, gets into town, and then we'll figure it out. Yeah. So Gene told the SF Gate, quote, I guess he told me that as kind of a threat. He told me not to tell Steve. So she speculated that he told her as sort of like a power move. Right. She still, I mean... To even, make her feel unsettled because she knew this information. Right. And the, that would mean she could go too. Yes. He was a dangerous man. So when her boyfriend, Steve, arrived in town, she told him, she's like, your stepdad told me that he murdered four women. She, I bet you she did it the second he walked in the, <laughs> the door. Probably. She had been like bursting at the seams, oh, right? Probably because yeah. she spent like the past few days, like she said she was hiding out in the library, like just trying to keep herself And you don't want to do that over the phone. No. You got to do it in person. You got to yeah. do it in person. So she told him as soon as he arrived, he was just as alarmed. Fortunately for her, he was on her side 100%. Yeah. I mean, that could have been bad too if he was like, I mean, like, how what, dare you? sweet old Adolf? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. So they went straight to the San Luis Obispo Police Department. But the police didn't buy it. She told the SF Gate, when I told them, I think they took it very lightly. It seemed like it was brushed off. Just another complaint. The police did alert the San Francisco and Los Angeles police after Gene made this report. LA detectives then questioned Adolf, but he was quickly let go. The murder cases remained cold. Leah Griffin, who was murdered in the San Francisco hotel room, had a daughter named Brooke. Brooke was raised by an aunt as Leah was an alcoholic. When she found out her mother had been murdered, she didn't even know she was living in San Francisco. Brooke said that she did call the police to check in on the status of the case every once in a while, but it didn't seem like the investigators were very close to solving it. She said, I didn't think anybody ever cared. Mm. When, Steve Londen- when Steve Londenberg and Jean got married, Adolf was not invited to the wedding. Did he know they turned him in? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because he got questioned. I mean, that was like... While, I mean, yeah, right. he told her and then immediately he goes, so they're like, you're not. Yeah. They became estranged after that. The couple then moved back to Jean's hometown of Pittsburgh. But to Jean's horror, she continued to receive love letters <gasps> from her estranged father-in-law. Gross. She was terrified that he would just show up one day at their house. This is like that, um, the murder of the the woman... I can't remember her name right now. The Mormon women. She was in Utah. Susan Powell and her oh. her her, her uh, father in law kept sending her love letters and yes. writing songs. Yes, it reminded me of that too. Yeah, where it was like, what is this? And it's so aggressive and and open. It's not even like secret necessarily. No, like I don't even think Adolf was trying to hide 
that he was in love with his daughter-in-law. Well, and he knows that he's sending her physical evidence, like right. these letters. She can show someone easily, but it's like they're trusting that the women will hide it or something or uh, not and cause be a stir or be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it's creepy. Sick. Fortunately for uh, Steve and Jean, Adolf did eventually stop sending the letters and they were able to move on. Adolf married and then divorced again. And at one point, he moved his into his other son's house. This guy's name is Gerald. Gerald was married to a woman named Renee, and they had kids. Gerald and Renee ended up getting divorced, but Renee remained very close with Adolf. He was her children's grandfather, and he would often babysit for them. One day, in 2002, her 77-year-old father-in-law told her something horrific. Out of the blue... Adolf turned to her and said, I raped and murdered four women in my lifetime. <laughs> Jesus. This is the second daughter-in-law. Why is he revealing it to the daughter-in-laws, I wonder? like, I think it's some kind of fetish. Yeah, it's really weird. But he's only telling the daughter-in-laws. Yeah. And she was like, of course, uh, what? <laughs> then he described to Renee how he murdered these women and that it was three women in San Pedro and one in San Francisco. He had raped and strangled them all. He also repeated the phrase about them being his four sins. Adolf told her that back when he was a cab driver in San Pedro, he would pick up women from bars and then drive them home. He claimed that all the women he murdered, they all had some quality that reminded him of his ex-wife. Renee immediately went to the police and told them. And police were stunned when they opened the file that a nearly identical statement had been made to them 30 years earlier about the same guy. Yeah. From a different woman. Yeah. And they didn't know each other. They lived on opposite sides of the country. But here's two nearly identical statements about this guy, Adolf. Renee agreed to a phone-tapped call with her father-in-law. Investigators wanted to see if they could get a confession out of him. Now, Dateline played a recording of this tapped phone call, and I just want to read a snippet of it. Renee said to Adolf, You know you dropped a bomb on me, Grandpa, and I haven't had anybody to talk to for days, and I'm kind of like going to explode here, you know? Are you like, you know, sorry for what you did? Adolf replied, I've took all my problems to the Lord. Now, this was not a confession. Uh, He was very, he didn't say anything. Right. I mean, she tried to, you know, gently get him to do something. Get him to say something, but he just kept saying, oh, all my problems are solved by the Lord. Right. So he's being vague. He was very vague. Uh, The case was certainly no longer cold, however. Investigators re-interviewed Jean at her home in Pittsburgh, and she turned over old photographs that she had of Adolf, as well as her date book from 1975, which she still had for some reason. Damn, Jean. She's keeping track of it. (laughs) Here's the thing about date books. Obviously, they're useless after the year is over, but I always feel weird about throwing them out, because I do. I want to shred them first or something. I don't want someone to know what I did all year. I mean... I guess. Sometimes I'll just pour a lot of coffee and junk on it oh, that's, when I, in the garbage. Yeah. It's just one of those weird things when you throw out, you're like, uh, like you don't just toss it, yeah. right? 
I I toss everything. Yeah. Well, she still had this. I don't know if I would have a 30-year-old date book, but she still had it. I think it used to be more common to save them. Really? I don't know. Like, I feel like that's a thing. Like, really? when you go to, I've gone to estate sales and they'll have like all these date books. What? And it's just like, oh, it's like a, <laughs> look, here's what I did. Oh, look at my date book. Yep. That was the 23rd. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Everything's so digital now. I still use a physical date book. I always buy them, but then I don't really use them. Mm. I can't do a uh, digital one. I can only do, like, I have to physically write it down to get it in my stupid head. Yeah. It just helps me personally. But anyway, she still had the 1975 date book. And written in the date book, she had noted on one of the pages, Dad confesses sins. Okay, see, that's a weird thing to write in your date book. (laughs) Well... Detectives noticed that her date book was kind of like a diary, almost. Yeah. Where she made notations about her day. So that might be more why she saved it, because she was using them as sort of a diary, too. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. So, yeah, she did just happen to have a note that said, Dad confesses sins. But what investigators really needed was physical evidence. And LAPD detectives had none of it. According to Detective Richard Bangston, it had all been destroyed. All these for all these murder cases, their physical evidence was destroyed. Because there was semen. Did they save they that was destroyed? Yes. Oh my god. Because there was semen left behind in each of the victims. Right. They didn't have it anymore. They were unable to come up with a DNA profile on any of the evidence slides that they had from Catherine Medina and Ann Felch because it was too degraded. But as if by a miracle, the slides containing evidence from the Lois Petrie murder were still stashed away in a drawer at the coroner's office. (gasps) Wow, real organized. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, evidence is just... (laughs) I was listening to this cop's interview on Dateline, or I was reading it. I was imagining Keith Morrison's voice. Yeah. He was like, wow, that's pretty uh, bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the evidence was in another drawer? Yeah. Really? <laughs> and then you go, hmm, you think police de- murder detectives, you keep that stuff a little more organized. Yeah. <laughs> But he did. I mean, that kind of was what the interview was like. And I mean, he says what we're all thinking. Really? Really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> and so, and Josh Mankiewicz, Keith Morrison will say what we're all thinking uh, more in the asides. Yes. But Josh Mankiewicz will say it right to your fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> there are two genders. <laughs> They'd be like, huh. Usually not someone how they treat their wife. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good impression. Yeah. Okay. So the the other weird thing about this interview when I was reading it is the cop was saying, he was like, yeah, we schmoozed with the uh, coroner at the coroner's office to get a hold of these files. Like, why did you need to schmooze with them? Aren't you guys homicide detectives? Like, (laughs) And what is the coroner going to do? Not give it to you? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck those assholes. I'll let this murderer free. <laughs> I honestly, I like reread it several times when he was like, yeah, all our evidence got destroyed down at the station, but I pulled some strings at the coroner's office. 
I like how they reveal these things as they're as if they're cute, but we're all horrified <laughs> totally. that this is how things are run. <laughs> so, so it was a miracle that they had this Lois Petrie murder evidence, this physical evidence in a slide stashed away. So they had one last chance now. And fortunately for these detectives, that slide delivered them a complete DNA profile. Wow. From the killer. The problem was they had no DNA profile of Adolf to match it against because he had never been arrested before. He was not in the system. So detectives had to come up with a plan to get a sample of Adolf's DNA. They located him on the street selling his walking sticks out of his mobile home. (gasps) Detective Bengston told Dateline that they had an undercover officer approach him and ask him to take him out to coffee to talk about some of his canes. Really? Yeah. They're like, hey, can I take you? Like At this point, Adolf is kind of they call they refer to him as a vagabond. I don't know. He's like he's he's moving from place to place in in the South so Bay. So he's in like a a movable trailer. He or, lives in a mobile van, yeah. a mobile home. Um I don't it's really unclear because the SF gate said that the undercover officer lured him to a coffee shop with because he wanted to talk about his walking sticks, but the detective on Dateline said they got an undercover officer who wanted to talk to him about some burglaries that were happening in the areas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I do believe that burglaries the burglaries were brought up at one point uh, in the coffee shop, but we'll get to that. Um, oh, I guess we'll get to it uh, right now. Okay, so they go to this donut shop in Torrance, and the undercover officer sits down with Adolf, and he they're chatting. He brings up some burglaries that were happening in the area. And then Adolf said, I thought you brought me down here to talk about the murders that occurred in the 70s. The ones I've been accused of committing. <laughs> <laughs> and the UO was stunned. He thought his cover was blown. Like that yeah. he was just going to get up and leave. Because he was not a cop. I mean, a in the situation. And, well, he yeah. was undercover. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no. But he was able to change the subject and recover from that. And Adolf was none the wiser. The sting wound up being a success. Adolf finished his coffee and left the coffee shop. Then, after he, as soon as he closed the door of the coffee shop, a second undercover officer came in and swiped the empty styrofoam cup. I've seen movies where this has happened. <laughs> Man, uh, this cop who was talking to Keith Morrison, he, he was real proud of this maneuver. Yeah, he's like, we had an, we had a second undercover. Well, cop. I don't even know why they needed that. <laughs> Because couldn't the guy sitting there just take it? <laughs> I mean, Adolf had left at this point. Yeah, he had discarded it. Yeah. So they had a second guy waiting in the wings that that swiped the cup, bagged it, yeah. took it to the lab. The DNA on Lois Petrie's slide and the DNA from Adolf's coffee cup was a match. A perfect match. On September 5th, 2003... Adolf Launderberg was arrested for the murder of Lois Petrie and held on a $1 million bail. Lois's son was notified, and he told Detective Vivian Flores that he had always hoped that DNA evidence would one day solve his mom's murder. Hmm. So that was a bittersweet moment for sure. Adolf pled not guilty. Following the arrest, Los Angeles detectives continued to investigate the other San Pedro murders, the murder of Catherine Medina, and the murder of Anna Felch. 
Detectives in San Francisco were now looking into the murders again of Leah Griffin, Maude Burgess, and Irene Hind. The press dubbed Adolf Lunderberg the Santa Strangler because he had a white beard and overall Santa Claus appearance. Mm. And you look at him, he kind of looks like, he looks like a strung out Santa because he's not very um, fat and jolly. Yeah. But he has the white beard and it's like a, okay. They're just, they're like, we need a name. (laughs) Santa. That's, that's nice. Cause it's not what you think of for killing. (laughs) Yeah. The only people or the only places I heard him referred to as the Santa strangler or the Santa Claus killer was in the newspaper articles or in the Dateline episode. The press made up that name, and the press would start these articles with, some people call him the Santa Strangle. Like, you guys call him the... You made that yeah. name up. Yeah, because it's like, gives you your little leads. Right. Like, not someone you want coming down your chip. Like, it's just like these little... <laughs> blurbs. Blurbs, yeah. <laughs> I mean, also possibly the fact that Lois Petrie was found the day after Christmas... Right. But there, other than that... That's where it ends. Yeah. Uh, the other thing was, oh, everyone liked him in the community. Not everyone. Yeah. His, his daughter-in-laws didn't like they him. They didn't like <laughs> him very much. So in 2006, Adolf was tried and convicted of the 1972 murder of Lois Petrie. He was sentenced to life in prison. Now, he was never charged for the three other murders that he confessed to committing to his daughters-in-law... And he never confessed to those to the police. There was also no way for the police at this point to obtain any physical evidence to link him to those crimes. Well, he also only said one in San Francisco. Right. So is there speculation they don't know which one of those three might have been him? Or do they think he's lying and that he did all three? It's just highly suspected right. that he was responsible for those. But it's the most <laughs> suspected that he was responsible for Leah the one who was murdered in the the woman who was murdered in the hotel room, Leah, right. Leah Griffin, because that matches up. And Maude was older. Yeah, that deviates from the pattern yeah. more. But Leah matches up with his timeline a little better. Yeah, than even though they were all relatively, they were like the same year. But Leah matches up with his timeline a little better, I think. And she um, was the bar owner. Right? No, that oh. was Irene. Okay, Leah was. Uh, an alcoholic woman I see. who... So that fits too. Yeah, and she was 60, so the same yeah. age range that he he liked to... Um, Go after. His, yes. So he still like, remains a suspect, and this dude's still alive. Really? He's like 96 or 95. He's the jackal. <laughs> <laughs> so when I said that, I realized, I'm like, oh my God. Jack LaLanne. But probably not as healthy looking. No, this guy's not healthy at all. Do you know what I learned while I was researching this case, which is crazy, is that this case is an early example of like discarded DNA collection. Oh. I didn't know it was this recent of a technique. Yeah. that And it was controversial at the time because it's like, is that an invasion of privacy? I was wondering that. Is it fair game? I think once they leave it or throw it away, it's fair game. And it was um, like the, the lawyers tried to contest this. His defense attorneys tried to like argue that like this DNA evidence wasn't admissible. Right. Because... 
it was, it was under false pretense or he was entrapped yeah, or something. But the, uh, but the court allowed it. So it was fairly like a new novel thing, but you do see this kind of, Oh yeah, I see it all the seizure time. Seizure in movies and stuff, right? Where they have a drink at the bar and someone removes the glass or something. Didn't like, Mare do that? <laughs> I feel like I feel maybe. like Mare did that with a bottle, a beer bottle. Yeah, it was a beer bottle. It was Rolling Rock. It was because it's rack. in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> but you see it on Law and Order all the time. Oh yeah, that's like so common. I, I actually have always wondered. I mean, I figured. It's so common that it must be legal because it does seem. It seems shady. on the border. It seems shady. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad it works or it's legal. I'm glad in the, if it if it helps if you know whatever. Well, I'm glad when it helps get a murderer. Yeah, I don't want it to be used in a bad way. Right. I mean, that can be the assumption of everything I say. <laughs> <laughs> Always think that. Yes, I agree. Um, so, um, yeah, that's the story of the Santa Strangler. Never heard of him. I had never heard of him either until kind of And I feel like I would remember his name. I mean, obviously, it would stand out in the Santa. Um, There's just so many crimes. It is. But this was, I was in LA during this. Yeah. I think it was like the early early 2000s. Yeah. It is always alarming when they're like serial killer caught after 40 years and he's like 80. Yeah. It's so wild. Well, it sucks because he had his whole life. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's in prison now, but he's old. Yeah. He's been in prison for like 15 years or. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't look great. <laughs> I'll just say that. I would love to see his um, love letters. I know. I was really surprised that I, that they didn't have those. I don't know. They must, she must've just thrown those she out. She didn't save those. Like this guy looks like a very unhealthy Santa Claus. I'll post a picture of him on Instagram. Oh yeah. He does not look very jolly to me. He's not jolly at all. No. In fact, I think they're really like, uh, he looks this. like a mall Santa where you're like, are you on parole? <laughs> <laughs> that one's a little more Santa. Yeah. He's a little, but more he's Santa. very, uh, he's not jolly. I mean, he's on trial for murder, so I don't. I mean, obviously, you're not smiling, but yeah. I told you about when my great grandpa made it in the local paper because a kid thought he was Santa Claus when he wandered outside his home when he was oh. had Alzheimer's. Jeez, no. <laughs> I can't tell if the, this is like a family story, right? And it's like the paper framed it as very heartwarming, but yeah. then it was like he was suffering from Alzheimer's. Yeah, because like, I was like, "That's funny," and then you said the Alzheimer's. I was like, "Oh, that's really sad," because <laughs> everyone's probably looking for him. <laughs> yeah, my great grandpa Fred, the guy who worked for Warner Brothers, uh, he want when I was a kid, he wandered outside of his house one on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. It was like literally either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and he he like couldn't find his house, and he knocked on this door, and this little girl opened, and she went, "Santa." That's creepy. He did look like Santa towards the end, though. Right. It's like it's kind of like those stories you see nowadays where it's like, woman <laughs> works 20 years to save up to buy her granddaughter a present, and it's like heartwarming, and we're all like, that's so sad. We couldn't just all give her the money. <laughs> it's like she worked a second job. Right. And it's just like, that's not heartwarming. That's horrible. Like, right. Just give her the money. Yeah. Just give her... The, can we just give her the money? Like, why'd she have to do all that work? <laughs> yeah. No, it... <laughs> I have the article somewhere. I'll, oh my I'll, God. I'll have to find it. Um, Santa and that little girl's life is forever like haunted. <laughs> I'd like to, yeah. And then their parents were like, 
you know, Ashley. It's like a horror movie where she, like that one where Joan Collins, where they, the little girl let Santa in. But it's <laughs> You don't know that one? No, but you but, but you have to watch that. But my my grandpa Fred was like the sweetest guy. I'm not saying he was a homicidal maniac. No, escape, like not. like in the Joan Collins. No, he was not Santa. I let Santa in. <laughs> <laughs> but it probably was alarming for their parents. Oh, I'm sure. Like, who's this old man at our door? I mean, yeah, for sure. You don't know he's gentle, Fred. No. <laughs> That he was gentle, Fred. <laughs> I will find that article for you. Okay. Okay. Um, that's it. We're going to record the after show. Bye. Bye.